Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 1-29-2023, and we're ready to begin, con not begin, but continue our, uh, our service with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and here we have the thought of the week centered around the verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 which reads, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. Notice the state we are in just before we receive salvation. We are dead in transgression. There is no place for gradual salvation. Salvation is an event in life. It is not something that we are working our way up to. We are saved in a moment in time. We do not put ourselves in a position for God to save us. We are born into that position through our birth in Adam. Obviously, there is no law, observance, or special obedience of sincerity from which we can appeal to make us ready or more acceptable to God. We are simply worthless. We desperately needed saving completely. There was nothing in us that made it easier for God to save us. The work of God through Christ on our behalf is all that we need. Despite our state, God saved us. As bad as we were because of our condition in Adam, God took us from that depraved state and saved us. He didn't need to bring us to an intermediate state like purgatory. We went from an entirely lost, we went from being entirely lost in Adam to being saved and united with Christ in a special relationship. Talk about going from the dungeon to the throne. Well, that is our story. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. And that is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. And then we have the thought of the week, and I'd just like to add one thing, because I, I love the beauty of the distinction that needs to be made so that we can realize what a tremendous gift of salvation is. And my thoughts are this. Grace and works are mutually exclusive. They cannot even be mixed together like oil and water in a salad dressing. You may have been working at something in your life, a grace is that unexpected gift which cannot be earned, mimicked, repaid, adorned, or worked for as with wages. The one and only choice we have is to receive this free gift as it has been given. And that is my commentary on the thought of the week. Now Fred will offer prayer on our behalf. Thank you, Dwight. Uh, at this time, <coughs> uh, one of Open the floor to see if there are prayer, special requests. Prayer for those who are mourning um, love, uh, the loss of loved ones. Okay. Prayer for those who are um, suffering from ill health challenges. So. Okay. All right, let us, let us uh, go to the Lord. 
go to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful and thankful, Lord, for today, for bringing us to this point, Lord, of your marvelous grace, Lord, the grace that has saved us. We have, and we're thankful, Lord, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid it all, as none of us are righteous, no, not any of us are righteous, and without your life lived in righteousness and your death, burial, and resurrection without your gift, Lord, we all could stand condemned. We are eternally grateful, Lord, thanking you, Lord, for all these blessings of salvation that is offered freely to us who believe. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanking you again, uh, asking that you would go before us as we prepare for the word of God, found in Galatians, asking for prayer, Lord, for those who are sick and who have health problems, Lord. You know their problems individually, Lord, asking that your will be accomplished and you would come by and see about their health problems. Lord, praying, Lord, in particular for Lester um, Richardson, who is in the hospital. This is Brenda's cousin asking, Lord, that special prayer for him, that you would come by and see about him also, Lord. Watch over and continue to keep him according to your will. Praying for all of those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, that would include BJ, again, Brenda's cousin who just lost his wife, Tina. Lord, asking that you would continue to comfort them in their time of grief, the entire family. Lord, <clears throat> asking for, again, special blessings for the word is true. Christian Church and all its members, uh, this past year, we many of the members we lost loved ones, asking that you would continually watch over and bless us. Praying, Lord, that we would continue, Lord, to seek this new life, Lord, found in Christ Jesus, a life of unity that puts us in a place where we can go out and spread the word uh, to this dying world and our sins are not counted against us. Uh, make us able, servant, Lord, that are able to go out and accomplish your missions, Lord, and do your will. That we might continue to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith to continue to look in the mirror. Asking again, Lord, for prayers for the book that Pastor Doug Presley is is working on that you would lead and guide every aspect of this book so that this book may go out and this information inside this book might be available to this dying world. These blessings, oh, before I close, I'd like to also uh, ask prayers for the word of truth in the Christian church. Michael believes that, that we will continue to bless and keep all the members of that church. All these blessings we ask 
in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sins. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Dwight, for those words as well. We, um, we're moving right into where we left off. We are in an overview of the book of Galatians. We did cover uh, verses 1 through 5. Uh, one through yeah, one through five we covered. We got into the second part of <clears throat> verses six through twelve, in 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 your notes titled "Another Gospel." So that's where we're going to pick up. Um, let's see. Actually, we did get through point number one, which is verse six. We, I think we're into verse seven, so we'll pick that up. So you should have notes in your notes as we launch out into Galatians chapter 1. Our hope is to be familiar with the foundational material before us. This book has themes that are rich in our understanding of grace and living the Christian way of life. It has been about 12 years since our last focus on the book. We will do a chapter review on each chapter to remind us of the content. All right, so... That is our short introduction, and we're going to jump right down to the section of Galatians 1, 6 through 12, another gospel. We're at point number 2, which is Galatians 1, 7, which reads, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So some people we already kind of talked about last time, and we will see more about these people who are insisting that the Galatians adhere to the Mosaic law. As uh, we talked about in the earlier session, the greatest controversy in the church in the first century was to establish the church as its own entity. God did it. He established it, but man uh, did not want to accept and move away from traditional norms and standards. Uh, Just to give you some thought, it is not easy to move away from traditional norms and standards. It takes humility. Because many people would rather rest on their traditional viewpoints than to seek or or even think that they could possibly be wrong and seek some other way. But God has shown us uh, through signs, wonders, and miracles that uh, this way that we have gone is the way that he is uh, directing us. We can be sure of this. How do we, when I say we can be sure, I'm not just saying that because I want you to follow me or something. I'm saying follow God. He's the one who is directing traffic here. He's telling us uh, by every way he could possibly tell us that this is the way, walk in it. So we, this is why we're here. This is why we, are, we have the foundation that we do. And that's why we are building on it. So, let's, let, so that, we're going to see what happened in this first century in more detail. These people who came along and were insisting that the church adhere to the Mosaic Law. And these were believers. These aren't just 
unbelievers. So that goes into point B, where there are variations of those who believe, and I call it the big lie. And the big lie is, it, it was started in Israel when they turned away from grace and thought that the way to God is through uh, seeking justification by the Mosaic law. That's what they thought. And obviously, God the Holy Spirit was very clear that it was grace. And uh, so the Jews perpetuated this big lie over centuries. You do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. So what was it that they were resisting? They were resisting grace and replacing it with what I'm terming as the big lie, and that is salvation by keeping the law or some moral principle. And uh, so this is... When, when Christ came, the Jews rejected him because, um, you know, obviously they had been rejecting him through the Holy Spirit through generations. And now when Christ actually came to his own, his own did not receive him. But then it goes on to say, but to as many as have received him, he gave the right to be children of God. Children not born of natural descent or husband's will, but born of God. And so that happened in the, right when Christ was there walking the earth, he was rejected. So we, we should discuss some of the variations of the big lie, of people seeking to be justified by their works. And this, as I already said, it started with Israel. Unfortunately, the religious factions in the church have followed suit and with Israel and have walked in the same steps they did. They see uh, the law. In fact, some of the church churches will have picked certain um, aspects or commands that are in the Old Testament under the Mosaic law and have adopted those as part of the way of life of the church. That's quite interesting when our way of life was hidden from Israel. It was not found in the Old Testament. Now, it doesn't mean that the Old Testament doesn't have any value to us. It does. We get to see God, uh, how he dealt with Israel, how he uh, created all things. And we get to understand his standards for his nation, which was the priest nation to the world. We, we, there's a lot that we can learn about God in the Old Testament. But well, one thing we can't learn about God is the way of life for a church-age believer. Because as far as the Old Testament was concerned, such a thing did not exist. It is not even heard of. So the, the way of life that we have is unique. So you know what that means? We have to have humility to be able to see it. We have to have enough uh, of looking aside of from the ways that we were raised and the ways that we thought was true. And we have to defer to God and say, God, I, I don't know what truth is. You do. You tell me what you want me to know in terms of truth. That's why the Bible says, even of itself, that it is good for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
We need all of that, all of it. Because and without, and without humility, we won't receive all of that. That's important to note. So some of this is my way of review. But So yeah, so you have unbelieving Jews in the Old Testament who thought that Jesus was not the Christ. And they continued on their journey of trying to keep the law to be justified before God. Uh, a good example of that is found in Philippians uh, chapter 3, where Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, um, I'll, remember he was a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for, as for righteousness, get this, this is verse 6, based on the law, Paul said, he had the nerve to say he was faultless. How could you say that, Paul, when the law was designed to show you that you were condemned? Only somebody who had an ego of arrogance could possibly say that they were blameless, faultless when it came to the law. When especially when we know from James, if, if you offend the law in one point, you are guilty of all. You don't get the practice. Well, I, I failed that point, but you know what? I'm going to get it right, God. I'm going to make sure I do it right next time. God says if you failed one time, you're guilty of all. And really, that's just one way of saying it. But that's, that is to say it's impossible for you to keep the law. You can't keep the law with a sin nature. Your sin nature is offensive to God. It's like somebody walking around and they got body odor or B.O. as they say. The person doesn't realize it, but everybody else does. They know as soon as that person walks in the room, it's like, oh boy, somebody, uh, and you might not say it, but you know it. Right? Well, that person needs to know it so that they can do what is necessary to take care of that problem. And, and so that is, Paul did not know, he would not realize his arrogance. So but anyway, let's keep going. So, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I'm in Philippians 3, 7, now I'm in 8. What is more, I gain everything. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now get this last part in verse nine. And be, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Now see that? That goes back to verse six, right? As for, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And then in verse 9, he says, that's not, once I understood what Christ was all about and I got his righteousness, I don't want to be found having a righteousness that comes from God, or that comes from the law. But I want that righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So uh, Paul illustrates for us even if you didn't see it, but you could see through this, if you read between the lines, you will see what the big lie consisted of. It, it consisted of a focus on the law and somehow deriving righteousness before God. That was the big lie. 
that cuts across what God has told us. There is none righteous, not even one. Are, are we any better, we Jews? No, God has made it clear that Jews and Gentiles are alike are all under sin. There is none righteous, not even one. So that's a big lie that you can become righteous. And, and this is what is perpetuated even in people who claim to be in the church today. They're following in the sad footsteps of Israel. And worse than that, the lifestyle that we have in the church was not, is not to be patterned after the Israelite. We have a different purpose for what God has called us, even though some of what we do overlaps with what Israel did in terms of giving the gospel ambassadors for Christ, yes, but we have a different purpose before God. So then, so you got unbelieving Jews who were focused on the law for righteousness, but guess what? You also have believing Jews who were, who even though they believed in Christ and had his righteousness, they didn't realize it. And they sought to establish their own righteousness. So, so this is, and, and where would that come from? The law. So you got unbelieving Jews, of course, believing Jews who continued to think that the Mosaic law was necessary for salvation. This is where you get Acts 15.1. I'll just read it just to be sure we're all on the same page. He says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. <laughs> you cannot be saved. And then if you jump down to verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, notice they were believers. They were believers. And this was important for us because now we're entering into a different category. These were people who did believe in Christ. They did put their trust in Christ but they were teaching a false gospel. And this is what we're talking about here in Galatians, turning to a different gospel, following after these people who believe the big lie. And somehow it must appeal to the flesh to think about it this way, because if you have achieved something, you have overcome something, you feel like you, you have done something in God, You've got to recognize what I've done. I've been, I, 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 you, you saw me, God. You know my heart. You know I'm good. God is saying, no, no, you're dead in your transgressions and sins, right? And for believers, they're confused. It's like it says in Galatians. Some people are confusing you with this talk of the law. So for believers, yes, they're saved. They have salvation by grace, but they can be confused, certainly. So you have believers who were Jewish, of course. You had, uh, uh, and, and tried to perpetuate the, the Mosaic law in the church as a way of salvation. I'm wondering how in the world they got salvation when they had this belief. But anyway, let's keep going. But... But that, that is a thought. Okay, you could, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. But is there a new dispensation? They said, no, it's not. We, we have to maintain the Mosaic Law. And then there's Christians who are of the Gentile persuasion 
who think that uh, they have cherry-picked the Mosaic Law and said, now these are the things that we must do in order to be saved. Uh, some of them don't actually use those terms that I'm saying, but ultimately that is what they're saying. They're saying, well, you can be lost if you don't do thus and so, which is to put conditions of human effort on salvation. And we know, like it says, and if it's by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace ceases to become grace. Grace is no longer grace. And we know we're saved by grace. Paul is very clear about that. In fact, this is where we get it from, the Apostle Paul. He understands that completely. So that was, that's the point B. We're in 2B under Galatians 1, 7. And that was a little bit of introduction to talk about where we were. So point C, anything other than grace is perverted. What does that word perverted mean? It means to turn across, that is, transmute or corrupt, pervert, or turn. Uh, so that's what he's saying, <laughs> which is really no gospel law. Evidently, some people are trying uh, throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert. Right? This is corrupt, uh, you know, destroy, transmute uh, the word the gospel, right? This is what people are trying to do. Now, I'm just giving you a definition of what it meant to pervert. Point D, if the gospel is perverted, if, if, if the gospel is perverted, it is corrupted by human effort. Uh, really, point one, we got three points to think about here. One, first, the gospel cannot be destroyed. God created this, and man can't destroy it, but it comes from God, and who alone can save. So the only thing man can do is fail to receive it. Just keep that in mind. Man can't destroy the gospel. Man can't destroy what God did. God poured out all the sins on Christ and nothing man can do to, to reverse that. This is a superhuman task of God and the gospel requires divine power for it to be, for God to execute it, right? How, did, how is it gonna collect all the sins in the cup and have Christ drink them? And this is the sins of all mankind. God, only God could do that. Point number two. Second, man may corrupt its reception and dependency on God. So this is where the Galatians had fallen. Right? They, uh, they allow people who were saying things that were wrong to come and to teach in, in their, their body. And remember, there's more than one Galatian church, right? There's we like to think of one church, the Galatians, and one church, the Ephesians, one church, the Philippians. But no, there was more churches in the area that um, that's what we learned. So we can, we can fail to receive the grace of God. As great as the grace of God is in, the, you know, in salvation, it is great. God performed marvelously in a superhuman way, a, a, a way that only God could possibly do. And yet we, as human beings, in our arrogance, could re refuse to receive grace from God. And then we will look at God differently and we will think that our relationship with God depends on our human works. All of those things are... Uh, human effort. And point number three, third, if, if it is corrupted, 
uh, that is not good news at all. <clears throat> and that is what the thought is. They are corrupting the good news. And so if you corrupt the good news, it's no longer good news. Uh, that's what he's saying uh, in, in the verses that we're dealing with. It's no longer good news. That's the definition of gospel, which is if you corrupt it, well, it's not gospel anymore. Uh, the, at least the gospel they're preaching is not gospel, but God's gospel continues to be uh, offered to all humanity that is in Adam. Now, we're in point E now. Some people are throwing you into confusion. So I said already, the Galatians were confused. They began with grace and were convinced by religious people that they were under the law. This is also a rejection of the new dispensation. Uh, we already talked about this new dispensation that Paul makes clear in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. I'll just read it. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And then it says, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. And reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. It goes on. It's not over. It continues to talk about this new age and the dynamics of it. And the, as the, the verse goes on, actually, the whole book of Ephesians is talking about it, just so you know. There's not just some little section here that we got to focus on. It's the whole book. Let's, let's keep going. Those saved by grace need to have the proper foundation. It is essential for growth. The Galatians have proved, and God has documented this for us. So we have, when I say God has documented this for us, the book of Galatians is documentation from God that, yes, you could be confused. Yeah, it's possible for you to be saved, but confused. We now know that because people could question that. They could say, well, I don't think so. If you're confused, you're not saved. Well, no. God is saying the Galatians were saved, but they were confused. And that confusion was not just a rejection of uh, salvation by grace, but it, it was a rejection of the new dispensation, the new age that was dawning. And as a result, they thought somehow that you were required to keep the Mosaic law. You cannot mix law and grace. And I think Dwight was saying that earlier. And uh, some of the things that he, some of the words that he was saying after the thought of the week, that these things are mutually exclusive, grace and works. So, so <laughs> this is interesting as we look at this. To note, it's documented, yes, you can be deceived after you're saved, which is why it says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. So it is important that we grow up. If you don't grow up, you know what will happen. You will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. 
These things can happen to you. Yes, you can go by the wayside. Now, what does this mean, ultimately? It means that you'll be ineffective in this world. It means that God will discipline you because you refuse to grow up and to adhere to the Spirit's teaching. And it means that you will not receive rewards for service at the judgment seat of Christ. But it does not take away your salvation or the inheritance that we receive by his sovereign grace. So this is important for us to keep in mind. Uh, there are consequences to being confused. I would say we don't want to be confused. We want to be straight, understanding of what God has given us in Christ and to grow in that grace and knowledge of, uh, of, of the, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, we're heading to the next verse, which is point number three. It's Galatians 1, and here we are grabbing two verses. And why do we, are we taking two verses? It's because they both say the same thing. But we can't just leave it at that. We will make some points regarding that as well. It says, uh, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And that was times two, because that verse is in eight. And Paul says it in nine. He says, as we have already said, so now I say again. He's repeating it for emphasis. We'll get to that. So, it, so point A, an appropriate warning is given and repeated in the next verse two. As we have already seen, or as we have already said, so now I say again. Now, if you didn't get that, it's a warning. Now, warnings are important because God does not want you to step across the boundary that would cause you to be out of line with God's character and his purpose for your life. Do not cross the line, God is saying. Don't, if these people are coming, don't allow them to teach the false gospel, the big lie. Don't, don't allow this, right? This is, he's saying, let, let them be, and we're going to get what it all means, but this is a warning. And with warnings come judgment. God has to do something. He's not just saying, oh, by the way, I can throw out warnings, but they don't have any teeth. The warnings have teeth. And we'll talk about what those are. Point B, even if we, or an angel from heaven, Paul includes himself as those who, who and those who travel with him. And when we talk about that, um, Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 and 9, I think we covered that last week. I'll go to Galatians 2, uh, verses 3, says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And then in verse 9, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So this point in point B is to say, when Paul says, but even if we are an angel from heaven. So he said we, and there were others with him. We know Barnabas is there because in chapter 2, Barnabas was even listening to the, the Judaizers and, and it was it was catching fire in him too. He was a bit confused by that. 
Paul says, even Barnabas was led astray by this. We'll get to that more in two. So don't think you can't be led astray. Don't think, oh, well, I got it all. What keeps you grounded is the foundation. You've got to focus on the foundation of truth. And uh, as you establish uh, your feet on that solid ground, then, then you can grow from there. So that's, uh, Paul puts himself in that. In other words, me or even an angel from heaven. Let's talk about that. Point C, an angel from heaven. <clears throat> the word is angelos. And this, it means a messenger, especially an angel, by implication, a pastor, angel, or a messenger. So the word just means, really, a messenger. If we're talking about an angel, it is a messenger from God, right? So if we're saying it's a, a heavenly angel, one who was a created being, he's from God, too. Uh, now, of course, Satan is an angel, and uh, he is not speaking for God. So, obviously, if a special, so Paul is saying this: if we or somebody, an angel or a messenger from heaven, comes to you and says this, uh, he's going to tell you what it is. But I'm just pointing out that an angel is also a human being; could also just be somebody who is a messenger or a pastor. And point D to note: I believe this word is used to address the pastors in the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. So if you go to Revelation 2 and 3, you will see you, this common phrase. It says, verse 2, 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. I know a lot of people, well, I wouldn't say a lot of people, some people have said that uh, the word angel, which is angelos, the same word that we're dealing with in Galatians, have said that this is referring to heavenly angels. And some have gone as far as to say that there are angels that God has dispatched over every one of these churches. I don't agree. I think an angel here is referring to the pastor. To the pastor. So what is he telling them? Write. And the pastor has to write, um, and, he, and he tells them what he wants them to write. So I think this is to the pastor. Right. Take down what I'm getting ready to tell you. Jesus is saying, take down this. Because the person who is directly, well, obviously, the Holy Spirit is invisible. Can't really see him. But he's between Jesus and the pastor teacher, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit tells us everything that Jesus wants us to know. And so, so it is almost, it is as if Jesus is, is communicating with us directly when we hear from the Holy Spirit. It is him. We don't even have to say it's the Holy Spirit because he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and what he will tell us what is yet to come. So to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? Uh, verse eight, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Uh, and it goes on. Oh, who's he? Who, all of them are Pergamum, are right. He's telling them right. I think these are references to uh, pastors over those churches. So uh, that's point D. Point, but that doesn't mean that Paul can't be talking about an angel from heaven. He, he could be talking about an angel from heaven in the verse we're in in Galatians. So, but even still, if somebody is pretending to be 
from God and they tell you this, it does not matter. The highest authority is God. That's what you have to look at. I don't care who it is. If anybody comes, and that's how you want to read this, if anybody, point that goes to point E, the warning here is that if anybody is preaching a perverted gospel, then let them be under God's curse. We're going to have to talk about what that means. Because some of the believers, as we already discussed, were teaching false gospel. Some, that's right. The believers, uh, some of the believers of the Pharisees, as we read in Acts 15, 5, had, had, were saying that unless you keep, don't keep the whole Mosaic law, what, what they realized was we don't, we don't want to have this new dispensation. We want to go back to the Mosaic law. And if a, a person wants to become a convert, of uh, Judaism. These are things that they have to do. They have to be circumcised. And they have to uh, take some vows that they would obey the Mosaic law before they can become a part of the body of the Jewish believers, Israel. But that we are no longer in the age of Israel, and that's not required in this for the church. We're, church is not under the law. So what they were trying to do may have been legal in Israel, but it was not legal in the church. So what they were resisting was the, the new dispensation. They were saying, no, we're still under the dispensation of the law. But it did seem also that they were still believing the lie. So uh, we'll let God sort that out because he said they were believers. I will say uh, they are believers. So uh, so point F, let's get it. Point F, let them be under God's curse. Huh. So I think, honestly, he's talking about human beings here. And they are considered anybody. If, if, even if somebody comes from heaven and preaches, this is pretty dogmatic that Paul is saying. This is absolutely false to to teach that the Mosaic Law is in force in the church or to try to have other believers uh, to, to uh, come under the authority of the Mosaic Law. It is absolutely false. And Paul is saying here in point F, let them be under God's curse. What is God's curse? It's the uh, Greek word anathema. You probably have heard of that. It means a religious ban or concretely excommunicated thing or person, accursed, anathema, curse. So this, excuse me, this all comes from strong. So point G, I conclude this refers to someone preaching in the body, that is the church. If they are preaching the big lie, right, uh, they should be removed from the body of believers. Now this is <clears throat> this is Paul saying this, let them be under curse. Paul's not saying let them go to hell. <coughs> Excuse me, we can't send anybody to hell. But cursed means excommunicated. That's what it means. It means to be separated. And then here's an example of 1 Corinthians 5, even though <clears throat> it is not the same scenario. 1 Corinthians 5. 4 through 13. Let's just read it. 
we already know, or if you haven't known, <clears throat> verse 1, I should read it. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Hmm. Okay, so this is pretty bad stuff, but it's in, in the area of sexual immorality. Okay, but so our thought here with the Galatians is not the same subject, <clears throat> but the same result is what Paul is saying we should have, right? So let's just look at it. Uh, verse 3, for my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord, of our Lord Jesus, on the one who has been doing this. Now, Paul, as an apostle, has authority over the church. <clears throat> okay, this is the note. Verse 4, so when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, in other words, even though I'm not there, but I'm with you in spirit, you already know what my judgment is, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. In other words, he has proven that he is no earthly good. He is not doing good works. He is operationally, we would say, he is dead. And, and, but it doesn't mean he's lost. <clears throat> it means he's lost. So verse 6, your boasting is not good. And the people who were... Uh, had a, they saw this and they somehow were boasting about it, which I don't understand fully. I can't understand why that would be something to boast about. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that it may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. <clears throat> Paul's given us these examples. Therefore, let us keep the the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with leavened, unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, he, <clears throat> these are analogies about how you got to excise the old leaven because it will, if leaven permeates the bread. So he, we should have unleavened bread, meaning get rid of the leavened bread. I wrote to you in the letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. In other words, you can't fully separate yourself from the world. But, but he's saying that they shouldn't be among you in terms of uh, in the church, that is. <clears throat> but now, verse 11, I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral greedy, dial, idolater, slanderer, drunkard, uh, swindler. Don't even eat with such people. Eat meaning break bread, fellowship with them. That's what that is to say. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not, uh, to, are you not to judge those inside? Verse 13, God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. There it is. If you didn't know what he means or what he meant by all of that, verse 13 is clear. Get rid of him. He shouldn't be in your midst. And, and then, well, we know we're talking about sexually immoral things. And part of the uh, thought in the Corinthian church was going back to the temple services, which accentuated 
sexual immorality as a part of worship, the worshiping God was was included in their uh, worship. I mean, they used to worship all kinds of things like phallic symbols and and so on. It was gross. Uh, but to, to think that these people were trying to bring this into the church, and, uh, unbelievable. But yes, it was. Uh, so he's saying, get rid of them. Excommunicate him. Let them be anathema, Paul is saying. But now, for people who are also teaching false gospels or a false Christian way of life, just think about it, because that's what it was in Galatians here. I'm going back to the notes. Uh, so it's my conclusion that I'm saying, that Paul is saying, that if a person is preaching in the body, and that is the church, that the, the big lie, they should be removed from the body of believers. You should not allow that to be uh, taught in the church. And, and, and to the extent, not by just saying, no, that's wrong, but no, you got to go. Because your influence in the church is going to cause other people to falter as well. They got, they have to go. That's how important this issue is. Paul is making the point to the Galatians. And he says it twice, not just once. He says, let me warn you. If this is happening and you have a responsibility to excise that person from your body, remove them. This is what he's saying here. Uh, he's not saying, let the person go to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, get rid of the person from your body of uh, believers. So let's keep going. What is, what is our time? Okay, we got some time. So point number, um, let's see where we are. Point number four, Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? <clears throat> or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, so this is how it looks. So you might say, um, Paul is very stern in what he said, but I would say no. He was being honest and true to the foundation that we have and to the way of life that we have. And we can't just allow people to come in and to corrupt that. We have to make decisions, definite decisions that let people know in this world where we stand and that they cannot come into this uh, body of believers and to corrupt it by the perverted, all the things that would happen as a result of watering down the gospel. This is the very power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We cannot allow that to be corrupted. So, so in 10, Christianity, point A, Christianity is not like politics. What God thinks is important to us and what man thinks really doesn't matter because Jesus is Lord. So politics often, they don't always, I wouldn't say every politician, but it's typical for politicians to kind of survey what the people want. If they want to become popular, right? If they want to become popular with the people, they try to give the people what they want. <clears throat> but the thing is, what the people want isn't necessarily the right thing all the time. 
So sometimes decisions have to be made for the good of the people, right? It's, and just because they want a certain thing doesn't mean it's right. So in our case, as believers, Jesus is Lord. And we're not, you know, putting out surveys to say, what does everybody think about something? Now, it depends. I mean, we have some democratic ways of thinking about it, uh, certain things uh, in the church. But, but when it comes to doctrine, we can't do that. We, there is no compromise in terms of what people think. God has told us what the church is and, and the foundation of the church. And we don't have the liberty to change that. We don't have the liberty to say, well, well, even though Jesus said that, it doesn't matter. We're going to do what we want to do. Doesn't, uh-uh. No, we can't do that. So Jesus is Lord. And as, a, as the church who, who is united to his body, he is Lord over the church. Point B, where he says, I am, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? Unfortunately, this is what ministry for many has become. It has become a pursuit in pleasing people. I just want to go to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, just to cover these. Not that we haven't covered this before, but we should, since we're at a verse that talks about it. 2 Timothy 4, 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. <laughs> if, if there was a, ever a preference to, you know, to, pre, to set up that he is saying something very important, he is getting ready to tell you, something very important for him to say in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the who judges the living and the dead. And so I'm getting ready to tell you something important. That's what Paul is saying. You ought to get, hopefully you get that. He, he's saying, I'm not telling you this on my own word. I'm telling you this is important. What does he say? Verse two, preach the word. Be, in, be prepared in season and out of season. Well, I, I interpret this is you have to preach the word of God. That's why we're here. We're not here to preach our word. The minister is supposed to preach the word of God. Being prepared in season and out of season. And I always look at that uh, in terms of the people as well. Whether they want to hear what you have to say or they don't want to hear what you have to say. Or, you know, whether they want to, they love you or not. Correct. And so why don't we say in season and out of season? Because I think the words after this explain what it means to be in season and out of season. So here it is. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So this is, so wait a minute, Paul. You're telling me to preach the word, but then you're telling me that preaching the word is with great patience and careful instruction. We ought to correct, rebuke, and encourage. So these are things that are involved in preaching the word. I don't find that happening much today. Verse three, 
For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. When it says to suit their own desires, that means to please people. Right? This, their, their interest is not in preaching the word. Their interest is not in having the word preached to them. Their interest is to, you know, I want people who will say the things that I want them to say. This is, that's, they won't put up with sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? Preaching the word, correcting, rebuking, and encouraging with great patience and careful instruction. That's not frivolous screaming and hollering and showboating. It is just being very careful because what are we dealing with? The word of God, which is, I mean, this is very serious matter here. They will turn, here it says, uh, they, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So this is, <clears throat> instead of preaching the word, these people call preachers and teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. Verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It doesn't say these people are lost and under the wrath of God in Adam. These are believers in the church. So just keep that in mind. Right? This is so I'm relating this because what do we see? We see this happening in the church of Galatia, right here. So uh, I give you this just to help us understand that these things are possible and were happening. Back to where we were. So um we're still in verse 10, so please people was point B. Unfortunately, this is what ministry for many has become. Uh, I know we've. this isn't the first time we've talked about these itching ears, so uh, we're moving on. Point C, a servant of Christ is our position. And with the Spirit's ministry, we have the mind of Christ. So that... So when it says the servant of Christ, that goes back to in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will judge, right? That goes back to Paul's setup before he even got to preach the word. But that's who we are. No matter how, Paul said he was a servant. He was an apostle. Paul says, who am I? I'm a servant of Christ. And, and we don't get above that when it comes to our service here in the world or growing up in grace. We don't get above a servant. We're a doulos, a slave to Christ a servant, a bondservant to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are. And we don't ever make up our own doctrine. This is the word of God. I would just also read uh, 1 Peter 4 in this regard before we move on, 9 and 10. <clears throat> so he says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you, verse 10 should use whatever gift they have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks, I love this, the very words of God. So think about it. I know we can think of words to say, lots of them, but make sure that what we say is speaking the very words of God. And if we can, quote scriptures in between what it is we're saying so people know where we're coming from. 
If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and in power, <clears throat> and the power forever and ever. Amen. Back to our notes. <clears throat> Point C. Second Peter. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Point C. <clears throat> I think we covered that. Or did we not? A servant of Christ is our position. And with the Spirit's ministry, we have the mind of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. We have the mind of Christ. That, <clears throat> that is, the Holy Spirit takes from him and makes it known to us. Okay, so uh, what time is it? Uh, well, I think we're going to pick up with point number five, and that would be Galatians 1.11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. We're going to pick that up next week. The gospel I preached is not of human origin. We've got to discuss that. Um, but next week, we will continue. Listen, we got through 11 verses, uh, 10. I think that's pretty good progress. We're moving fast, according to our speed, that is. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue Galatians next week. Thank you, Father, for this time. <clears throat> we thank you for the words that were before us. Father, even though we were viewing them from a higher level, but overview, but we recognize there are some key points in here that we want to lift up. We thank you for your word and your instruction. We thank you for the documentation that we see with the Galatians and the warnings, Father, that are important to us and how, imp how we should be impressed by how important your word is and how we should stick to it as don't, not to make up our own thinking and thoughts, that, that we should be bound by the thinking <clears throat> that is in your word and that your Holy Spirit has revealed to us. We thank you, Father, for uh, the assets that we have, the understanding given to us by the means that you have given us, the Holy Spirit who is here now to help us understand and, and navigate this age, this new age that we are in. All of this we ask uh, as we bring these things and we are challenged by uh, having humility toward you, Father. We pray for each member that is here and all of their families and uh, their loved ones. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.